This is the Saxo Market Call, the daily financial markets podcast across asset classes and around the world. Hello and welcome to the Saxo Market Call. It's Monday, 6th of March, 2023. Uh, Friday, of course, we saw quite a rally in equities, uh, a considerable jump. And as we've been talking about, it was was just after this period when we're testing whether we're going to break down through some critical support levels. We sort of broke down below those levels without creating any downside momentum. And then Friday, we have a big dip in bond yields uh, riding to the rescue. So uh, across the curve, but especially... um, especially the long end, we saw the the yields dipping on Friday and that big 4% level in the 10-year, for example, reversing back below that. That all helped. And uh, it helped sentiment coming into this week, which looks like a really interesting week ahead uh, with Fed Chair Powell out two days of testimony. We'll have some thoughts on that. And I think the highlight of the week is certainly going to be Friday. And we'll talk about it as well with both the U.S. jobs report for February coming in and then the Bank of Japan meeting, which is Kuroda's final one after 10 years as Bank of Japan governor. He is leaving uh, early next month. So, uh, yeah, I, the key question is going to be, Peter, this week, uh, was this just a, a small relief bounce because we sort of avoided the downside uh, capitulation or is there something else afoot here? I'm not sure I understand what's going on. I think it's, uh, it seems pretty dicey this this back and forth action we've seen the last couple of weeks. Yeah, it, it was a quite a substantial move we got there on Friday, and it uh, coincided with the um, with the weaker dollar and also bond yields uh, falling quite considerably. We went below the four percent level again in the U.S. ten-year yield, and we talked about it, John, in the internal call that it was a strange, a little bit of a strange move because you had a macro economic backdrop with the ISM report basically showing that the U.S. economy is humming along and. Uh, you had the inflation expectation being priced higher, but then at the same time, you had yields coming down and, and equities were flying. So let's see. I mean, I we shouldn't put too much weight on a single session, although it was a pretty powerful move there. Uh, we went above the 4,000 level in the S&P 500. It's very, it's a lot of thin air all the way up to 4,100. So I, I guess that's the upside uh, price level we can, we can uh, sort of anticipate where we could hit if momentum extends. I've put in on slide two the... Um, the theme baskets overview. You could also see there was very much the high beta, you know, the China reopening, pro-cyclical themes that did well, commodities, luxury, travel, gaming, construction, bubble stocks, and Chinese consumer and technology companies. So it's um it was a little bit of a, a wild week. Um I still think that it's it's the key thing to watch here, of course, is what the the Powell speech this week. Um, you have some thoughts on that, John, but also you know, the, to the extent that the market is finally beginning to wake up to this inflation that it's it's we're not going back to the old paradigm and they, at least not for a considerable time and and when we get that repricing how will that stack up on um in equity markets against that uh, growth narrative that is um is winning out at least on friday yeah and we had to as well and you need to follow up on this uh because it was an important event this china uh, the two sessions meetings setting the political agenda uh, from here they set the growth target uh, around 5%. That was seen by some as a little bit at the low end. In terms of real growth, it's insane to think that they can even achieve that. But it is what it is. You can expect that to be the mobilized sort of party goal to, to achieve that 5% number at all costs. Uh, and there was some wording and some of the statements making it clear that they're still not happy with the property sector being used as an engine of speculation. So that, especially going to be hard to achieve that 5% if they're not getting back onto this uh, you know mass mass growth via uh, huge construction, uh, especially on the, in the property sector. So uh, although there was a little bit of 
disappointment and, and corners and pockets of the commodity uh, market on this. But what's your take on this, on the impact of this? And as well, uh, it may be too much to throw to you all at once, but this uh, this story that really got our um, you know, thoughts racing on Friday about uh, from the Wall Street Journal <laughs> on uh, the UAE wanting to supposedly, according to the Wall Street Journal sources, investigating the, the possibility of leaving uh, OPEC so they can increase their production output. Yes, indeed. It was a crazy Friday in the oil market. Um, but uh, let's just uh, take the China story first. Uh, the, the a fact, as you mentioned, John, that they set the uh, relatively modest growth target to re- reduce some of the speculation about uh, imminent support through uh, stimulus, and uh, we, we're seeing some of the some of these China-centric commodities drift a bit lower this morning. Copper trades softer, and we got iron ore down by more than one percent. But uh, generally, we're still holding above uh, key levels, so uh, it hasn't been the it hasn't been the negative shock that uh, that you may, some may have feared. So it just underlined the. That the support that we still have in this market, but uh, returning to the oil market really was a a crazy Friday. We we've seen before, and 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 that's why initially I thought this well, this must be surely must be real because uh, Wall Street Journal had a had another article out last year about Saudi Arabia, which turned out to be uh, be be wrong, um, and it created quite a bit of a, a stir in the market. And uh, now this one was obviously a major one as well. Um, UAE threatening to leave OPEC. Uh, Primarily, I would say, well, they, they talk about the rift over Yemen right now, but also UAE has, has increased its production capacity. I'm showing that here on slide four in recent years. So according to estimates, they can they can actually produce up towards 4.2 million barrels. That's a million more than they do right now. And it's quite a bit above the uh, the the baseline or the floor, the, this uh, cap that they have uh, agreed with uh, the rest of the OPEC Plus group. So uh, they've been producing above now for the couple, last couple, couple of months. So whether there's any... I, I, I don't think it's outright wrong. Um, I'm sure they obviously have their sources, uh, but uh, but uh, the UAE is is probably timing wise not not prepared at this point. But at the same time, they may just send a signal. Uh, it will help send a signal to OPEC that they are not happy about the the quotas they they currently have. Uh, they they can produce a lot more. So we'll, we we that's I'm sure there's going to be more on that story to come. But generally, what is left uh, the oil market is just another Friday where wounds were licked, uh, shorts got got squeezed out, and we we finished on a on a high note. But as you can see on the chart, we're still stuck in a range. We've been in the range within November, albeit it's 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 narrowing right now, especially the support part of it is uh, is is uh, rising steadily. What we also find in the um, uh, cut report uh, data, which is now up to date for Brent, not yet for the U.S. markets following a cyber attack in January. But what we see in the Brent cut data is basically that the, the short position in the in the Brent crude oil market from speculators has dropped to the lowest in 11 years. There's really not any selling appetite out, out there right now for crude, even though we are we are range bound. So that's a story that's really interesting to follow. And I might as well just carry on, John. Um, just you know, We talked about the, the inflation expectations and uh, and the yields back below 4%. But what is, what is interesting in the numbers last week is that it's obviously the fact that we we broke about four percent ten year. We came back and and closed the week pretty close to unchanged. But if we look underneath the hood, we find uh, that the break even yields, so the inflation expectations in the ten year area last week rose by fourteen basis points, while the real yields at the same time dropped by thirteen. This is the the the, the development that we have been looking for. That inflationary pressures uh, will start to be priced higher in the market and uh, with yields obviously at the same time coming down that's uh, that's lowering the real yield which is supporting gold prices and we can see that on slide five years with 
where the inflation swaps uh, has really been on the move now for the past month. Their market is, is slowly waking up to the fact that the inflation is probably is unlikely to return to to the uh, central bank's uh, target level down towards two percent, and that will uh, t- add some support to the gold market. So, um, at uh, but as we've said last week as well, we need to break above eighteen sixty four as a minimum for this uh, correction to be. Uh, to to fade uh, at least for now we're holding above the 21 day moving average could indicate we're getting some momentum back but uh, it's too early to call a, a a bottom in the goal at this point yeah it's uh it's really interesting to see this as well in light of the fact that we had the, the yields rolling over friday so a bit ironic to see this uh broadening uh unsettled view on where inflation is headed and that is it does appear to me that uh, that gold is sort of leading here on this charge uh, higher across the space, you see quite a shift in the momentum on gold versus the rest of the G10 currency space there on uh, slide three, with those momentum readings uh, considerably back into positive here. And as you noted, though, we, we do need to some more upside uh, progress before we can reverse this uh, very considerable consolidation we've seen of late. So real yields versus actual yields uh, is a very interesting and compelling topic. And it's also driving the Bank of Japan's considerations what will shape up on Friday? I really don't have a, a grip on this. I'm not sure the market does either. There's been a tendency, of course, for Dalian to back up as a function of yields also backing up. And as uh, incoming, likely incoming Bank of Governor Ueda uh, seems to want to take a rather cautious approach. But could Kuroda surprise with a significant further adjustment to make Ueda's uh, further normalization process a bit easier once he leaves? Does he want to have a swan song? This is his last meeting after 10 years as Bank of Japan governor. Uh, Kuroda, does he want to have a swan song or last meeting that sees him uh, saying, yes, I achieved it, and, and here's some tightening to to prove that I, I believe that inflation is back on a, a positive and sustained positive basis. We've had a lot of mixed message and not very consistently, well, it's a mixed message we've gotten from Kuroda on the need to continue and his view of whether this inflation is sustained. At the same time, we have a um, Japanese uh, unions scrambling for the highest uh, uh, wage rises in in many, I believe it's decades, at least for in a long time. So that will be a key component. It has been pointed to as a key component of whether it's just, uh, inflation will sustain in Japan on, on the wage front here. So lots going into Friday. And again, all in light of the fact that the U.S. also reports jobs data, which was uh, surprisingly strong, very much so in, in January with that huge non-farm payrolls change print, et cetera. We also have Australia foot with an RBA up tonight, most expecting a 25 basis hike. And it's about the guidance from here. The RBA seemed to want to be moving towards a pause, but has been unable to because of the rise in especially uh, CPI, but also a little bit on the inflation expectations front. So uh, that that uh, two-way risks over that um, uh, RBA meeting uh, tonight. And as far as Powell goes, I don't have, I don't think he's going to make much of a cut, much of a figure this week. I think it's political theater. These uh, semi-annual hearings, two days of them, to, uh, starting tomorrow and then following through Wednesday, uh, Senate panel tomorrow, House panel on Wednesday. Uh, there's, it, it's fantastically boring as the various congressional members uh, posture around everything. But the general, I think the general lay of the land is that there's nobody in Congress or very few in Congress that are clamoring for the Fed to continue to hike aggressively, uh, perhaps the opposite. Instead, they're going to try to to make their political points and Powell will, will try to dither in the background and say that we're being very serious, but you know we're hopeful that we're coming in for a slowdown in inflation. So I think it's going to be more about the jobs data, the uh, CPI release next Tuesday, and then the of course, the FOMC meeting, but that's not until the 22nd. So 
Uh, yeah, that's about all I have to say on Powell. Uh, Ole, I don't know if we wanted to round out the commodity space with wheat before we jump back into uh, earnings and so on with Peter. Yeah, I just put in the the wheat chart because we are which which trading pretty close to a seventeen months low, and and the main main reason is simply that uh, the the uh, the market is being flooded with uh, wheat right now from Russia. They had a sizable production last year, and they um they are basically adding. Uh, dumping prior dumping wheat at uh, prices which are where uh, U.S. and European farmers are struggling to uh, to to compete, and that's uh, adding downward pressure on, on the price. It is the most shorted of the commodities we we, we track, um, at least up until when data was was being released. So uh, we'll we'll watch that, but uh, but it is basically ample supply that's uh, right now driving down price, and that's obviously good from an inflationary perspective. But while others are. Uh, uh, actually are uh, showing some strengths at this point in time, but uh, let's move to the uh, to the earnings calendar, Peter. Yeah, it's um, it's becoming a less and less so important, I would say. Um, it's, there's a lot of not a, not a lot of names, um, but we do have highlighted in in blue here on slide seven the um, you know the four or five names that are worth watching uh, for this coming week. CrowdStrike tomorrow. Obviously, important um, important play in the global cybersecurity industry, which is growing very fast, as you can see, forty five percent top line growth expected. I mean, it's I wouldn't I was just thinking about how to phrase it. Uh, this is I was about to say this is the easiest sell in the world, and of course, there's nothing that is easy, not even selling uh, cybersecurity uh, solutions. But given the world we live in, and with the in massive increase we have seen in cybersecurity attacks over the past couple of years, uh, it is really a red hot industry. And in our basket of twenty stocks only have a market value a little bit above uh, $200 billion. So in the in the bigger scheme of things, in the global equity market, this is a very, very small industry. Um, so long, uh, long run rate here for, for this industry in terms of growth. Adidas, trouble company with that, the Yee partnership that uh, went south. Um, they have a lot of inventory, the write-downs, um, catastrophic uh, performance against Nike over the past five years, new CEO coming in. Um, it's a turnaround case, and uh, let's see how strong the brand is, whether they can actually manage to turn, thing or, to turn things around, or they're going to lose their, the second spot in the global um, sports retailing to uh, maybe a Chinese player, because Nike is now by by far uh, the crown, or the king, if you will, in, the, in that industry. And then on Thursday, Cattle and J, uh, JD.com. So JD.com is the equivalent of Amazon in 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 China, because they have their own uh, inventory that they sell, they have their own fulfillment center, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Cattle, the world's largest battery maker, expected to see revenue up eighty uh, percent. So very curious to, uh, to hear their thoughts, but also their outlook. Um, typically, Chinese companies are very muted in their in their outlook and press releases. But hopefully, in this case, maybe we'll get a little bit more color because the lithium carbonate price continues, and it did so as well last week. Continued to decline quite a bit, and Tesla announced further price cuts because of this uh, cost uh, costs are coming down on, on lithium. And then on Friday, Oracle, uh, which has been a very long turnaround case, if you ask me, a turnaround away from the old software model, uh, database sales model to a, a newer model. Um, and actually in their last quarterly result, they um, they surprised the market to the upside with some pretty pretty upbeat numbers and uh, indications that maybe this new these new business models are beginning to accelerate their, their growth outlook. All right, and then on the macro calendar, pretty much previewed everything I wanted to this week. Uh, just one brief note, as we head into that Friday U.S. jobs report, uh, the critical one for the for the U.S. Uh, inflation outlook by, by many accounts, we had the ISM services on Friday. It was uh, largely flat relative to the prior month, which was slightly stronger than what was expected. 
But internally within that report, it was it was notable that the employment uh, sub-index was at 54 uh, versus 50 in January. So reasonably strong expansion. That's the highest reading for that survey since December of 2021. So uh, if that has any bearing on things, we'll see the uh, expectations so far coming into Friday are for uh, sort of a return to trend around plus 200K for the payrolls change. But other things to watch will be the strength of the household survey, whether we're continuing to see that. In other words, the percentage of people that are actually in work and that put the unemployment rate at that low level, not seen in decades, many decades uh, back in January. Prices paid still strong, 65.8. That is a historically hot reading, but we are just continuing to come down. So the pace at which inflation is rising, still strong, but not as strong as it has been uh, in prior months. That's down from 67.8 in January. Um, yeah, but a, a very interesting week ahead, given especially the central bank calendar and in particular that Dolly Yen test over on Friday with uh, the Bank of Japan up, of course, in the Asian session. So it'll be up first, but then the U.S. data and where yields are headed, uh, as well as where real yields are headed, as uh, pointed out by Ulu with the uh, shift we're seeing here in terms of the market's forward pricing of inflation, which is undergoing quite a considerable shift. All right, that's a wrap for today. We will be back tomorrow with the next Saxo Market Call. Thanks for listening. This has been the Saxo Market Call. For feedback and questions, reach out to us on Twitter at Saxo Market Call or by email, marketcall at saxobank.com.